The Florida Horse Podcast is presented by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. Welcome to the Florida Horse Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. I'm Tammy Gant, and I'm joined today by the Retired Racehorse Projects Executive Director, Kirsten Green. Let's get started. Kirsten, it's so good to see you today. Yeah, likewise, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I can't believe it. Time has flown, and I met you over at the Global Symposium of Racing, Yeah. and you were on one of the big panels, and um, you were able to share your message. Um, about the Retired Racehorse Project and what you're doing there. So what's some of the takeaways from that uh, presentation that you'd like for folks to know and some things that maybe people talk to you about afterwards? Yeah, it was so great to be on that panel. I was in such great company too and a real honor to be there. And um, one of the big things that we focused on was where our organization kind of came from and, and where we are today and kind of our we're very known for our flagship program, the Thoroughbred Makeover Retraining Competition, um, which really has put us on the map and made um, a big impact on the aftercare landscape. And there's so much more to do still for the breed. And so I think that's what we're really starting to focus on, um, you know, in the next couple of years, the five year, the 10 year outlook and how we can be of more service to the thoroughbred breed as a whole uh, beyond racing. Yeah. Um, So let's talk a little about that makeover. So a lot of folks know what that thoroughbred makeover retraining program is. um, But did you think having been there, seeing the success over the years of how now thoroughbreds are really wanted in Mm -hmm. other high profile horse sport disciplines. Mm -hmm. So that has really worked. Yes. Yes. They're definitely back on the map and, um, we're seeing in aftercare, it's really making a difference in how efficiently the industry as a whole is able to work on behalf of the horses because you have something that is helping to drive the demand. So we're seeing RRP eligible, which I mean, it's a little bit of a colloquialism to say retired racehorse project eligible. And we run into that a little bit because the thoroughbred makeover is the event and the retired racehorse project is the organization. So it gets a little confusing, but we don't fight it anymore. It's, It's it's become a thing that people put in their ads for their horses because they know it moves horses. Uh, so we're very proud to see that. And uh, when we introduced our broodmare division this year, again, kind of talking on our last year was our first year with the brood, broodmare division. Um, and we were able to kind of leverage that over to the broodmare population, again, kind of focusing on expanding and being able to service the breed, you know, at all stages. So tell me about the broodmare program. I don't think I quite fully understand. So give me a little, like a little primer on what that's like. Sure. So we've been getting calls to help the broodmare population for a couple of years now. And we were always a little bit like, you know, we're retired racehorse project. We want to focus on, you know, this population and, you know, how is it going to fit? Because this is, you know, they're in a different stage of their life and everything we had some really good conversations amongst our staff and within the industry that kind of evolved our opinion on like can we offer something for this group so it was a pilot program sponsored by Claiborne Farm uh, last year with additional support from Maryland Horse Breeders um, which we're a Maryland based program so I have to (laughs) throw that out there (laughs) Um, everywhere there's a, a large horse population yep 
we are very proud of that because yeah. it's really important that all all states that have horses lift each other up. So yeah. Maryland is fine to mention. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, so we had about 25 or so broodmares entered last year. And the way that we integrated that into the competition is they are a separate category of eligibility from the retired racehorses. It's rare, but sometimes broodmares could potentially qualify in either and you could pick which one to enter in. But the criteria for the broodmares is that they had to have had one lifetime start or published work and it doesn't have to happen in a particular time period like the retired racehorse mm -hmm. division what is um, time period sensitive for the broodmares is that they have to have a reported cover okay. within the prior two breeding seasons so do they do a halter class or they just perform in any of the disciplines they then? can perform in any of the disciplines and we had their we had broodmares in nine of the ten disciplines last year and what we ended up with last year is not necessarily a ton of broodmares that were um, in need because of advanced age. Usually uh, the majority of our broodmares were kind of averaging about maybe 10 or 12 uh, because they were having reproductive issues. Um, you know, they may have had one or two foals. So, you know, at that age, they haven't had some of the very significant confirmation changes and that sort of thing that you see in the more advanced age broodmares. And most things are still open and on the table for them. We had them in all divisions except for polo. And I think polo is just a small division for us. I think that doesn't have anything to do with necessarily the broodmare status, um, but we had them in barrel racing. We had them in the jumpers, in the competitive trail, like they were just as versatile. It's just amazing because, you know, broodmares, I do think was an underserved niche and that um, trying to grow again, that that idea that people would want to utilize horses and thoroughbreds in various disciplines. But now you're talking about, because they're all elite athletes. I mean, mm -hmm. thoroughbreds are elite athletes. And whether they're retired to become a broodmare or not, they, they still are an elite athlete. So it's wonderful that you were able to find yeah. a way to and get them into your signature key event yeah. without getting a little mission creep and getting off mission. Because I know exactly. that's a challenge. Um, with you because the the everyone wants you to do everything for every thoroughbred. Absolutely, and it it was very gratifying to be able to kind of meld this in with what already existed because basically what happens is they otherwise do this exactly the same competition. Those tests are all the same, the formats are the same, um, but they're competing for separate results and separate prize money. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little bit smaller of a pot of prize money, and but they still get the ribbons and everything pinned separately. Um, but we just didn't think that it was fair to like fully fold them in. And it, they get the recognition and exposure. For right? sure. So I think that's, that's the key is that they get an opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and we're seeing kind of like we talked about that RRP eligible, we are seeing the momentum in that with the broodmares too, because, and being a way to market them and have an outlet for them. Um, there's so many good programs out there kind of in the same aftercare space that are, have programs specifically for broodmares, but it's, it's so few compared to the retired racehorses, you know, Second Stride, Friends of Ferdinand, Mayor Worthy um, are all doing broodmare focused programs, but it's, it's interesting the crossover of a lot of, we, you think of the retired racehorses and the broodmares as being so different, but a lot of the patterns and the needs are very similar. You know, you've got an athlete that is going to go on to do something else you've got a mother that's going to go on to do something else there's going to be changes in how they're managed and they're going to need a transition and you know some of the same kind of um 
tracks a little bit, like mm -hmm. a broodmare that's not able to produce versus a racehorse that might be coming down in the claiming or a broodmare that's going to go into a different regional program or a smaller operation. Yeah. So that's a great way to explain yeah. those parallels. And so in the essence of time, I want to go ahead and move yeah. on to one of your other initiatives, because you said there's a couple things that you're looking forward in a five, 10 year plan. In addition to the broodmare program, what it was another initiative that's been pretty recent? Yeah, I mean, we're very focused on just kind of looking at the thoroughbred breed and how we can make sure that that horse is getting the credit that it's due in sport. We that's know, a wonderful way to say it. Yeah. The thoroughbred gets the credit it's due because we, we give them credit when they're champions. Mm -hmm. we, we dream when they're foals and grow up. But once they go through those processes, they still deserve that credit. Yeah. And we're we know everybody's out there and they're riding their thoroughbred, their warm bloods and they're riding their quarter horses. But the thoroughbred has been so influential in developing both of those breeds of sport horses. Um, but the thoroughbred sport horse doesn't necessarily have a breed registry um, or a breed association of its own that's really tracking its influence and um, and celebrating its successes. So we really want to focus on how can we better quantify that? And I think that that dovetails very well with issues around traceability. You know, the thoroughbred as a racehorse or within the breeding industry has such great traceability um, and such comprehensive records reporting. And then the second that they exit that part of the industry, it's very difficult to keep track of them. So if we're incentivizing and continue, continuing to keep track of them and what they're doing in sport and sport horse breeding, that's something where we can start to piece together a little bit more of the story. Yeah once they exit the racing industry. That's interesting, though, because I thought the same thing. I said, you know, we have all these wonderful thoroughbreds that are in different sports, but they aren't necessarily on people's radar yeah. as far as like a registry is concerned. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's brilliant to say, let's follow them in the sport horse world and yeah. see what that impact is. Yeah. And we're getting ready to release, um, first of all, the National Economic Impact Study from American Horse Council is coming That's down the road. It's going to be big. We have funded the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners funded the Florida one, mm -hmm. and that's coming out. And then we drilled down to Marion County. Mm -hmm. So Marion County, we do key as horse capital of the world in trademark and actual number of horses. But part of that is we see our thoroughbreds in those show horse arenas. Mm -hmm. And we see some thoroughbreds. Our polo club is always saying, hey, you got some thoroughbreds out there or oh, you got a sure. breeding stallion that maybe has that height requirement to give me a, a nice smaller polo pony. Mm -hmm. And so we we see the thoroughbreds across the board. Part of it is because the interest has come from programs like yours, mm -hmm. um, in addition to not just the makeover, but the exposure and the way that you you say, hey, there's all these programs out there and how can we connect? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and we know that's happening because I'm hearing it. Yeah. But also I'm getting calls from folks that said, I have my Florida bread that was in their program. I had, and like you said, program, sometimes they say the makeover, sometimes they say yeah. RRP and they'll send photos and they'll say, here's this. And we actually got a proud parent letter recently because the daughter was very humble and shy, didn't want to mention her, mm -hmm. her connection yeah. to your program last fall. And then all of a sudden we get the letter and you know, here's the photos and here's her Instagram and here's mm -hmm. her Facebook talking about the horse. Yep. And that's what we want to see. We have to figure out how to harness all of that because there's so much good out there. Um, and we know that the thoroughbreds, like even in the warm blood breeding are so influential, you know, they're, most of these horses are 40, 50, 60, 70% thoroughbred. They 
need the stamina and they need the refinement of that blood. So we know that people are bringing in those horses into their sport breeding programs, registering them to warm blood stud books. Um, so we need to make sure that we get our share of that. For sure. So tell me a little of your background. I think we'll wind it up with just tell me, um, obviously, you know, the equine world very, very well. So in, in, in a capsulation of a couple minutes, tell me a little bit of your background and, and how you feel you're like a great fit for the Retired Racehorse Project. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing that makes me a good fit for the Retired Racehorse Project is that I've been there for a really long time now. <laughs> um, I, I grew up riding, um, you know, thoroughbred lesson horses in a dressage and eventing barn in Maryland um, and just kind of stayed involved in the industry. Um, I did the kind of track of you know doing the working student i actually came down here and worked for denise rath for one winter so i'm not a total stranger to ocala um but i just knew that i wasn't going to be a rider like i was okay but i didn't want my livelihood to be dependent on my riding ability um so i kind of went off and did a bunch of other stuff worked in a bank worked in wholesale logistics and um kind of built up a resume and stuart was just kind of in my community and stuart in my, pittman yeah stuart founded pittman, it. the founder for those of the that might not know amazing amazing yeah and um i got involved with the organization as a volunteer in 2012, uh, got on payroll in 2014 as kind of like the first full-time employee and worked under Stuart, worked in Stuart's basement uh, for a couple of years. And then as he backed down to pursue some other stuff, Jen Reutz, our previous executive director, uh, worked closely with her over the last couple of years. And then uh, when Jen was ready to step down, there was going to be a national hire. And I was a little on the fence because I've always been a very ops background like support position type of person and very comfortable that way um, but there was things having been with the organization for so long at this point that I knew that I wanted to see the organization achieve and you know YOLO as the youth yeah. say yeah, and well, so it, the, the organization grew with you and you've grown with the organization exactly. and I do always remember your name from when those early calls with Stuart said hey we're in the barn and he would call those of us various people for media and other ways to gain exposure for the makeover mm -hmm. and I think so his concerted mm -hmm. efforts um, run true throughout which yep. was the love of the horse and creating something that gives a marketplace to showcase the thoroughbreds yeah. at their best yeah and so I'm glad you've been on that journey all along thank you for coming in today yeah. glad you're in uh, florida for a bit so you can enjoy our our weather and and just maybe kind of rekindle some of the moments when you were here uh, a while back <laughs> yeah thanks so much for having me great thanks so much mm -hmm. the florida horse podcast is presented by the florida thoroughbred breeders and owners association